It's me, Mario. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. And Seth, it's episode 50. It is episode 50. We've had 50 episodes. 50 episodes of the Classic Gaming Brothers. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of, that's almost a full year's worth of Classic Gaming Brothers. It is, it is, it is. Um, it's not, but it is. It is not, no. Uh, 52 weeks or 53 weeks, depending on where you, who you are. Is how many weeks that are in a year. That's true. Uh, but this isn't a calendar podcast. We're not going to talk to you about the... the <laughs> Fiscal months versus regular months and calendar months versus business days. Yeah. And of course, we're only talking about the Gregorian calendar here. If we really <laughs> wanted to be interesting, we could calendar. talk about the Julian calendar. In which case, we probably have already surpassed a year. Um, though That's I'm not quite true. certain how the Julian calendar translates. Yes, this is not this is not a calendar podcast. No. The classic calendar, brothers. It would... Perhaps a calendar podcast would be timely or would it just be dated <laughs> that was bad that was bad that was bad we're gonna get a cease and desist from john and hank green because they do a pun at the beginning of every episode oh that's good those are I'd two like brothers that. that i want on our show well we can send them an email i'll send john and hank green an email and say dear yeah. two brothers we are two brothers maybe they'll come on i just was watching john recently anyway yeah so 50 episodes um 50 real episodes we understand that there's other episodes out there but they're not true they're not can they're, they're not canon episodes they're expanded classic gaming brothers universe episodes uh kind of like admiral thrawn um, oh no animal thrawn is canon he was in rebels oh, okay kind of like kyle katarn kyle katarn relevant to my recently played <laughs> yeah i feel like i feel like classic gaming brothers is in fact like kyle katarn if we could associate with a star wars character as a podcast i i would feel like kyle katarn would be the closest one yeah i would rather associate with kyle katarn than dash rendar oh true true uh dash rendar is just like boring han solo that is that is very true (laughs) kyle katarn is in the on the other hand like a if like a grumpy dock worker got force powers yeah i i always feel like kyle katarn should always be like smoking cigarettes or something in his cinematics and just doesn't have time for this so uh we we do have the next two episodes episode 51 no wait no uh episode 52 and episode 53 will be a two-parter episode 51 will be normal so but 52 because uh, because 52 was is so good because it's been one year of classic gaming brothers so for our year anniversary um we'll do a two-parter very exciting we actually already have uh, the topics figured out for the next like i don't know forever episodes but anyway so we'll keep going assuming everyone keeps listening well we'll probably keep going even if nobody listens but anyway 
Zach, uh, what have you been recently been playing? Well, in theme to our little discussion that we had at the beginning of this episode, what I have recently been playing, Seth, is Star Wars Dark Forces. It's a game that we talked about in our Star Wars episode many moons ago uh, in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, Star Wars Dark Forces was developed by LucasArts and published by LucasArts, and it's a first-person shooter that uses what's called the Jedi Game Engine, which was an engine that was heavily inspired by the Doom Engine. It isn't exactly the Doom Engine because it can do things that doom engine cannot do for example floors <laughs> yeah you, you can jump and you can jump and you also have proper floors floors above other floors which you can't do in the doom engine the game originally came out in 1995 i have been playing using the unofficial source port known as dark xl it's a in development source port which offers improved lighting and also helps the game run better on newer hardware you can also boost the resolution to 1920 by 1080 so the game looks beautiful i mean it's still like a pixel game but it's you know use the boost to get through use the boost to get through so yeah it's fun uh, I like Dark Forces. And yes, it stars Kyle Katarn, who doesn't have the Force quite yet. In in Dark Forces, he is still a disgruntled dock worker who has guns. Kyle Katarn goes from being like the Star Wars version of the Doom guy to the Star Wars version of the Doom guy with a lightsaber. Right. He he. I feel like Kyle Katarn gets the Force power through the most silly way. Doesn't he bathe in Force liquids? Yes. They're- he goes yes. to the Valley of the Jedi. Yeah. At least in the second game, or third game he does. He goes to so the Valley I, of the Jedi and, like, jumps in a fountain. I And I know, like, I know that we have at least one fan who enjoys Star Wars and who listens to our episodes. So, and, but I understand that there were people who were mad about the, like, midichlorians in episode one. But in Star Wars Jedi Outcast, Kyle Katarn journeys to the Valley of the Jedi and bathes in the Force and becomes Force-sensitive. So, yeah, I mean, that's a thing. I I mean it's no longer a thing because disney expunged kyle katarn from their canon he also is like consistently the worst jedi in the sense that he's very good at his abilities he's very bad at anything related to like any form of jedi code so even yeah. in in this version of star wars the jedi order is kind of being reestablished by luke and you know they are kind of keeping to the jedi code but kyle's still a mercenary who just goes around and steals stuff all the time yeah. Very true. Seth, so, what have you been playing? Yes. So recently, I have been playing Super Liminal, which is a a game that we played on stream during our Steam Summer Game Showcase. I remember that stream. Uh, it was one of the many games that we played. It is a. It was developed and published by Pillow Castle and came out on November fifth of this year, twenty twenty. It is a first person puzzler that uses perspective to solve puzzles. It reminded me a lot of Portal and so if you took Portal and the game Stanley Parable and you combined them, you would get Superliminal is what what would happen. It's got like that tongue-in-cheek type humor of like Gladys and type person talking to you throughout the game. It uses a mechanic of perspective to solve puzzles. So for example, um, one of the major gameplay uh, gimmicks is that uh, you can find objects in the game. If you get closer to them, uh, you'll make them smaller. And if you get farther away, you'll make them larger physically in the real, in the, in the game world. Yeah. So um, if you put something up far to the ceiling and you let it go, it becomes like you can make it bigger and bigger and bigger and you may use it to scale things or, Um, At one point in time, there's like a piece of like a slice of cheese that's normal slice. um, And then you can make it like gigantic and you could climb up it 
to go up like a like a wall. Uh, it's fun, and uh, the premise is that you are in like a structured dream environment and you've like outsourced your sleep to these people so you're like in a dream world which is why you can do silly things and you are essentially like lucid dreaming and enjoying a nice rest while you make giant chess pieces it's uh fun i enjoy it it's uh it's a very neat game i'll probably try and um stream it sometime in the future so people can understand kind of what i'm talking about but uh it is a uh a very if you like it's it's a very fun game if you like uh games like portal i would recommend it i think you guys if people would find it fun it's and it's also pretty cheap i think i picked it up for like 15 or 16 bucks 17 okay. after tax nice. uh, and i think it's 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 retailing for i think it's going to retail for 20 um, but they games usually have sales now when they get released because there are so many games cool so for episode 50 uh we wanted to talk about a game that really is a game that probably everyone is familiar with and also um enjoying or have has enjoyed and that is super mario 64 it is a very classic game released on the 64 and 64 and was um pretty genre defining in my opinion as a, a platformer and like to this day i'll play it like just i'll like be like oh, i really want to play mario 64 and i'll just play mario 64 and i'll enjoy it so zach do you have any uh, memories of super mario 64 yeah I mean, I definitely remember playing Super Mario 64 at friends' houses before we had an N64. I think it was one of the reasons I wanted an N64 was because I played Super Mario 64. I don't remember whose house it was, but it was a friend of mine who I remember had the N64, had Super Mario 64, and I remember it being a fun time. I remember it was really cool, all the things you could do with Mario. I felt like it was very freeform in the sense that you could do like flips, you could do jumps, you can wall jump. Uh, there was a lot of stuff you can do in the game, and, and I thought, you know, the levels were big and awesome looking in fact revisiting them now the levels are actually a lot smaller than i remember them being but they still are pretty grand scale in terms of the level designs that you you go through i mean like baba battlefield which is the first real level in the game is still a fairly big size level for for the kind of game that super mario 64 is yeah i feel like not only is like that particular level pretty large the, the babam field but i also feel like they're they're they, has a feeling that there is a lot of worlds in it because there's the worlds you are are accessible usually through uh painting and uh, though there is one where you jump through like a wall but generally they're accessible through paintings and there's just a lot of these paintings throughout this castle and it just has like there's like a feeling that there's a lot of these big worlds tucked out there and i always liked it how like it uses the castle as kind of like a almost like a lobby system where you move around the castle to uh uh, figure out like what you're doing but you also have things that you have to do to like like drain the water in the castle and like different like little games puzzles essentially and there's like hidden rooms in the castle and i i like that kind of like using that castle to access the different worlds and to play through the game i always felt like it it was really well done i also have memories of playing super mario at a friend's house um there was a friend who lived down the street uh, from us that I went over and I think I played it for the first time. And um, I think we did a sleepover and I played a lot of it that or at least I was it was like back when you would like a friend would play for like 10, 15 minutes, they would die and then you pass the controller to somebody else or whatever. So we did a lot of that, and I remember going through the world, and it was just like uh, so awesome comparatively to like what was currently available 
And I definitely kind of made sure that my parents knew that the N64 was something that we wanted. Uh, I think eventually we did get our own N64. Yeah, it was kind of um, late game. I think that we got it, but we still got it. I think I've actually played more of Mario 64 emulated than on the actual N64. I mean, I did play it a lot as a kid, so I guess I don't know. I played a lot of it. I still play a lot of it. It, it was a good. It was a good. It was a good game, though. To be honest, after the N64 was out for a little while. And I was still going over friends' houses to play like their N64. I mean, I was going over to sleep over or hang out with them, but they had an N64, so I'd play them. We would tend to play games that were multiplayer versus Mario. So we would end up playing like GoldenEye, Mario Kart. Uh, I feel like Mario 64 would get put, if you had a bunch of multiplayer games and you had a bunch of people come over, you weren't, like, I wasn't going to be like, I'm going to play some Mario 64. Yeah, right. But um, it was one of those games, like, if everyone was going to sleep and you were a night owl, you could be like, I'm going to play some Mario 64. Yeah. Um, it was definitely one of those those types of games. It was great. I, I can't speak enough highly in this of it. So, uh, Zach, why don't you take it away with how Mario 64 became to be? Super Mario 64 was released in 1996 along with the N64 and was the flagship game for the console. The game was the first time that Mario was in a 3D environment. The idea for Super Mario 64 came during the development of Star Fox for the Super Nintendo. Star Fox for the SNES used the Super FX chip which um, was this chip that was designed for certain games um, that allowed them to kind of have a bit more punch to them in, in a sense. So for Star Fox, it allowed it to have uh, polygon 3D graphics when you were playing it. Um, it was very cool. Um, it's a very, very impressive chip for the time. Uh, and the thought was to do a Mario game using the FX chip as well. However, the director and producer of Super Mario, Shigeru Miyamoto, eventually decided that the N64 brought along far more button options, as well as more power, and that the game would benefit from those additions. So the, the actual development shifted over to the N64. Fun fact, while the FX chip was in development, they referred to the FX chip as Super Mario FX, but it was not to reference the game. It was to reference, it was the code name for the chip was Mario FX. Miyamoto wanted to put as much detail into the game as possible when uh, he was designing it and likened it to like an interactive cartoon. The highest priority of the game was to make Mario move realistically, which comes across even today when you play like an N64, when you play Super Mario 64, um, he really does move very fluidly and i think it's because they spent so much energy in making mario be able to move this way and to really test him out in fact before any of the levels were even tested mario was just put onto like a, a 3d like deck like a grid i think like the hologram deck from star trek when i think of it <laughs> in my mind and mario was put onto this grid and different tests involving like movement and physics were done with mario so like maybe jumping or throwing him yeah um and specifically he would be going to uh, they needed him to grab things because in the game he grabs stuff. And so in, in order to check out the physics of grabbing and, and being able for those movements, they you, they had a gold rabbit that they used. And the gold rabbit was named MIPS, which is after the uh, architecture processors, which MIPS stands for microprocessor with without interlocked pipeline stages, which is the architecture processor that was used. This rabbit would eventually make an appearance in the dungeon of Bowser's castle, 
where you have to, well actually it's peach's castle bowser yes just in it. yeah even though bowser has a door with bowser's like face on it i think he put that door there how long was he there for like what like what he's just moving into the first thing that he does is take over a castle yeah could have been there for a long time it's like he's doing like home remodeling like that's like mario was off like in brooklyn doing his thing (laughs) yeah and bowser (laughs) takes over peach's castle and then decides his first step of order is to remodel the castle so that there is a they're just these big monster doors with his face on it sometimes you gotta just do stuff like that you know i anyway in the castle there are dungeons or in the northeast we would call them a basement (laughs) 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 and um there is there's the rabbit and you have to go and catch him and if you catch mips uh you get a star and uh it gives you like it's a tough freaking catch i'm just remember him in the water like jumping around blah, 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 blah. and so mips was used to be able to test out mario's graphics or uh, test out mario's physics and stuff like that going in within the development they also uh when they were designing the game in order to make sure that depth perception was able to be like helped along they would they put a, sh- a shadow a, f- a fake shadow on every single object so every object in super mario 64 has some type of shadow irregardless of the light source so it just has some manner of shadow just so that it helps you perceive where that object should be sitting yeah so that when you're going to jump on it it makes it easier to play so if you can imagine that game with like no shadows uh you would be missing like even like hitting boxes or whatever you're trying to hit you wouldn't be especially because there's a, a lot of floating cubes in mario um that generally hold coins so if you want to get under them and jump into them if you don't have a shadow it's hard to kind of gauge where you're at and there was during the development process the thought of putting implementing cooperative multiplayer and they did go forward with trying to put it in um where one person would play mario and the other would play as luigi in split screen luigi being mario's green brother his clothing is green not his like his skin. clothing is green yes yeah. <laughs> that'd be weird uh, so his green clothed brother however they weren't able to implement it to us like a a, a a level that was production quality right so um they kiboshed that idea of having a split screen multiplayer in the game. So the game also featured um, a lot more puzzles than earlier Mario games. And since it was uh, developed concurrently with the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, they shared many puzzles. A lot of these puzzles, um, I can't think of any in particular, but a lot of the puzzles are time-based puzzles. So you have to hit a switch and get to a point or do something before that switch runs out. Zelda and Mario both have a lot of those type of puzzles. And jumping, platforming. Yeah. In fact, there is a photograph in the main lobby of the castle, and it's uh, stars on a blue background, and it appears that the stars may in fact be the notes required to play the Song of Storms in Ocarina of Time. They correspond with those notes. That's kind of a cool little tied together. Yeah. Ocarina of Time also reuses a lot of the same assets, which we'll talk about in a later section. So Charles Martinet uh, appears in Super Mario 64 for the first time voicing Mario in a mainstream Mario game, and would later go on to voice Mario in further mainstream Mario games. This is not his first time playing Mario. His first time playing Mario was in a PC game called like Mario's Minigames or something like that, but it was an officially licensed Nintendo product where Mario 
you played goldfish with mario and like checkers but I had charles martinet as the voice martinet also did the voice of uh both bowser and boo and they would have their voice modified with pitch to make the voice sounding uh sound different for the for the laughing effect. yeah for the laughing effect in fact there is a glitch that can occur when you're entering one of the boo levels um where boo's voice is not pitch modified so it's just like him going like ha, ha, ha. <laughs> it's kind of very silly sounding <laughs> there was actually something that i was uh reading while doing some research with this game that boo actually was inspired by one of the developer's wife so the assistant director takashi tezuka his wife as miyamoto would explain was very quiet normally but then one day she would explode and she was mad at all the time that Tezuka spent at work. When you look at the boos, they shrink, but when you look away, they get big and they attack. So they were inspired by this guy's wife. We talk about a lot of games that sell poorly on this podcast and consoles that sell poorly or just bad games. Though Super Mario 64 is the opposite of all those games. Super Mario 64 is the best-selling Nintendo 64 game. And in 1997, in the first three months, was number two in sales of all the console games sold at that time. Number one being another Mario game, Super Mario Kart 64. By May of 2003, 11 million copies of Super Mario 64 had been sold. And when it was brought to the Wii, it was in fact the second most popular game by uh, June of 2007. Uh, right behind Super Mario Bros. The game itself was revolutionary in defining the 3D platformer genre. In fact, the open world nature of each level even extended beyond just the 3D platformers and influenced non-platformer games. Martin Hollis, who was a Rare's producer and director of a little game known as GoldenEye 007, stated that the idea for the huge variety of missions within GoldenEye 007 came from Super Mario 64. Uh, In fact, Tetsuo Nomura stated that Super Mario 64 was the impetus for the creation of the Kingdom Hearts series. Out of all the reviews that Super Mario 64 received from commercial game reviewers, the lowest score that Super Mario 64 received was a 9.4 at GameSpot. And then all the other reviews uh, were higher with like 9.7, 9.8, with the Edge reviewing the game at a 10 out of 10. So it received critical acclaim. It has spawned multiple games of like the exact same Uh, I don't know. I would say gimmick, but so like you have like Super Mario Sunshine, Super Mario Galaxy, Super Mario Odyssey. There's a lot of like Super Mario plus something else equals money for Nintendo. They're they're fun games. So I feel like Super Mario 64 and the the Mario games that come after Super Mario 64 are almost to me, they're really a good definition of what a video game is like you sit down and you just have fun with it they don't take themselves too seriously there's a story you can follow it pretty easily and it's an interactive medium that you just have fun playing it can be challenging at sometimes and it's rewarding if you beat those challenges and i just feel like it's a it's a pretty good if somebody asks you what's a video game super mario 64 is a great game to show them it's true now, Super Mario 64 is an early version of what could be called a collectathon. 
Similar games in this genre, and I actually mentioned this genre recently when I talked about ukulele, include Banjo-Kazooie, Banjo-Tooie, Conker's Bad Fur Day, and Donkey Kong 64. All four of those titles are rare titles, by the way. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. The only Super Mario 64, though, is not a rare title. That's right. In a collectathon, as the name implies, you collect items. Typically, a collectathon's game progression is based on the characters collecting enough of one item to unlock other areas. So in Super Mario 64's example, you are collecting stars to unlock doors. More stars you collect, the more doors on- you unlock. The more items you collect... I- I- I'm just going to actually skip that full sentence because that was just what I said. <laughs> now, while some may argue Super Mario 64 isn't a true collectathon for a variety of weird arbitrary reasons that gamers like to make up uh, the game certainly became a template for future games of that genre now in super mario 64 you played as you guessed it super mario himself according to the movie his full name is mario mario so i guess his full name is super mario mario now mario is the brooklyn-born italian plumber who is always tasked with saving the princess of the mushroom kingdom and in this game princess peach is captured by bowser Yet again, Mario has to stop Bowser by traveling to different worlds via paintings in the princess's castle. And uh, the way he gets invited to the castle in the first place is he gets a letter from the princess who says, like, Dear Mario, please come to my castle. I've baked a cake signed to Princess Peach. Uh, Who is voiced by... Uh, Leslie Swan, who at the time was the senior editor of Nintendo Power. And Leslie Swan also wrote the English text of the game. She was very busy on the game. So the game the game is a platformer, right? So you jump over platforms and you jump on enemies. It's, it's probably the simplest way you can describe Super Mario 64. In each level, you have to collect a specific star that's locked behind a goal. Once you collect that star, you get ejected from the the level (laughs) and where you then have to save, continue, continue without saving or exit the game, I think are the options. And then then you jump back into the painting and uh, go after the star number two. I always thought as a child, I was like, it would be so much easier if I could just get multiple stars in one run. But no, no, every star is its own journey into the world. And what's fun is the world actually, depending on the star that you go into, the world changes yeah. ever so slightly. So if you defeated a boss on one of the earlier stages, that boss won't be present or may be present in a different form of um, later stages that you select. That's right. Um, uh, sometimes the, in order to get these stars, though, you need to beat the goal. Sometimes this goal is beating a mini boss. So like the big womp creature or uh, King Babam and... Every level had eight red coins that you could find and collect, and then you'd get uh, a star from that. Uh, You may, in fact, have to get to a particular spot in the level um, or doing one of Zach's favorite challenges, a race. I hate races. They stress me out. They make me anxious. (laughs) A couple of races. Um, I think the the one that everyone has probably done was the race against the Koopa the Quick, and then there's the Penguin Race. In total, there are 120 stars in the game. However, you only need 70 to beat the game. Does something unlock if you get 120 stars? So if you get 120 stars, I'm pretty sure what happens is there is a cannon located on the outside of the castle that Mm. will open. You can take the cannon up to the very top of the castle where Yoshi's just hanging out and has been there all day. And you talk to Yoshi and Yoshi's like, hey Mario, you want a bunch of one-ups? And Yoshi then gives you 100 Um, one-ups. And then he jumps into a waterfall and presumably drowns because you never see him again. Oh, that's morbid. Yeah. Along with that weird story, we've got other weird stories 
stories about Super Mario 64 because Super Mario 64 came out in the ripe time of being one of those games that came out right around the time the internet was coming out. So there are a lot of rumors about Super Mario 64 and continuous rumors that come out about Super Mario 64 because it's just this massive game. There was a lot of speculation about whether or not Luigi was unlockable in the game because this was going to be one of the first Mario games on a brand new Nintendo console and it seemed like this was going to be the first one without Luigi. Uh, This was fueled by a statue that was in the courtyard of a game that had incredibly illegible text. Um, So if you look up a picture of the statue, it's very hard to read what it says. But to some fans, and this this rumor was uh, was kind of spread by magazines and early online forums. This the statue read L is real 2401 spooky there was a thought that this meant luigi would be unlocked after a couple of things one idea was if you circled the statue 2401 times luigi would be unlocked there was another thought that if you collected every single coin in the game which some people said was about 2401 coins luigi would be unlocked neither of these methods work in fact collecting every single coin in the game is impossible because the way the coins are generated in the game some coins are in places you can't reach and are hiding in one now a non there isn't really a non-compressed version of this texture it is widely believed the texture reads eternal star as there is a statue of a star located on top of the on top of this uh this um plaque platform yeah and the texture for the plaque also appears in ocarina of time and as we know luigi's not in that game (laughs) or could be is he another fun fact is that some people retroactively thought that this was a hint about the release of paper mario which came out in north america in february February of 2001. However, Paper Mario came out in August of 2000 in Japan. So, probably not. <laughs> Luigi was, however, unlockable in the DS port of the game, Super Mario 64 DS, and in July of 2020, a prototype model of Luigi was found in a pre-release version of the game that was part of a massive asset leak of Nintendo properties. Coincidentally, this leak was found and assembled on July 25th, 2020. 24 years and one month after Super Mario 64 was released. So L was real, 2401. Wow. Yeah. That's creepy. <laughs> it is creepy. Or ironic, I guess. Or coincidental. Coincidental. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's not really a sense of irony. It's a, just a coincidence. There were things in the game that you had to like circle multiple times to get to like yeah, get yeah, one-ups by yeah. circling things. So circling a statue wasn't completely out of like the norm of things that you could do in the game. Another weird thing that can that happens in the game is um, a, a small detail in the game that you, if you've gone through the Super Mario 64, you might not have noticed, but it comes between the first and the second star of the first level of Super Mario 64. In the Babam battlefield, the first star you have has you fighting King Babam. He's a large bomb that lives on top of the mountain. On the way up to the mountain, you pass two large metal balls that are an obstacle that you have to avoid. After you beat King Babam and return to the level, a pink Babam, who for some reason they help out Mario, will comment that the king is now nothing more than a dud. And if you go up the mountain, you'll see now that there are three balls in the same area that were previously two, which heavily imply that King Babam was turned into a dud. Yeah. And is just now a ball that rolls around, preventing Mario from getting higher up in the mountain, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, that's a fun now, fate. Kind of morbid. However, in the original Super Mario Brothers, in the instruction booklet, it used to state that the bricks 
that Mario breaks were people of the Mushroom Kingdom that were turned into bricks by Bowser. So yes. maybe well, not entirely Mar- morbid. <laughs> yeah, but then Mario frees them. Yeah, well, no, he murders them because he destroys those for coins. <laughs> for coins, he destroys them for money. Another kind of oddity in the game is the never-ending staircase. Now, near the end of the game, you encounter a staircase. If you don't have 70 stars, the game will loop the staircase. So you'll go up the staircase, and this really kind of creepy music will play, and it will just keep looping and looping and looping and looping and looping until you turn around and you realize that you haven't gone anywhere on the staircase. Early rumors indicated that you could get up the stairs without the 70 stars needed. And while young gamers, like myself, tried without much luck, it was possible, kind of. So Super Mario 64 has an odd glitch called backwards long jumping. Um, it's a sp- specific exploit that's often used by speedrunners and what happens is if you perform a specific move called the long jump where mario you know, i think you press z and a and mario does the he jumps for a far distance a long jump uh if you do a specific version of that you have to do a couple of different tricks mario will slide backwards after performing the long jump um and he'll get locked into his jump like f- shape pretty much like he'll look like he's still jumping but be on the ground and Again, if you do this correctly at the right moment, uh, Mario will move backwards at a very fast rate. In fact, his speed will increase infinitely until he hits a wall. Um, The reason being is because there is no speed cap in Mario's movement due to this being a glitch. So in normal circumstances, if Mario moves, there is a speed cap. He can't keep going infinitely like at top speeds. However, when this glitch is occurring, it breaks the speed cap. So Mario goes to the highest possible speed in the game, which is infinite. So you can rocket up the uh, the staircase and actually get back. Uh, you can get up the staircase without the 70 stars. Again, it's a kind of complicated method. Um, it's, I think, best done in emulators because you can get the p- pixel perfect positions that you need. But it is possible on real hardware from what I understand. Um, it's just a not a legitimate method of getting up that, those stairs. There is also a popular creepypasta that has circled the internet that Super Mario 64 cartridge was built with a special AI software that allowed every copy to be personalized. This is widely assumed to be based on the fact that everyone has different memories of the game, which really is not the fault of the game, but the fault of the human brain. Yes. As as we age and we remember things, we continually modify our memories and remember things imperfectly, which is why things like the Mandela effect and all of that are popular because people remember not only different versions of Super Mario 64, but like Berenstain Bears. It's not necessarily because those products have changed. In fact, your brain has changed and you've, you are just remembering things poorly. But anyway, there's that a rumor that was going around that each of these N64 cartridges were built with a special AI. Finally, just as a fun fact, is the wet-dry world, which I remember is the world that you would... I, you had to if you jumped in it. Sometimes it would be like filled with water, and then sometimes yeah. it would be empty. Yeah. Um, the photograph was like this watery bug creature on water. It was just like zoomed in on one of the enemies. In that world, there is a, a background that appears to be a, a photograph of a town. In fact, it is a photograph of a town. It is a a photograph of Casares, which is located in Spain. Specifically, Andalusia, Spain. My Spanish is... 
I took bad. French. I took Latin. You think we would have the combined skills to master Spanish? Negative. It's also the exact photograph they use hasn't, I don't think, been found. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was part of the asset pack that came with the SGI computers that Mario 64 was built on because um, Mario 64 recycles a lot of textures from the SGI computers, including the Metal Mario skin, which is a recycled texture. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the game devs just like pulled a random photograph, did some touching up on it, and then threw it in the background. So yeah, that brings us to the end of our Mario 64 uh, episode. Um, hopefully you all enjoyed it and learned things that you might not have known about one of the most popular games of all times. Uh, it's good. I recommend if you haven't played Mario 64, find out a way to play it. I think you could probably play I think the Switch has an emulated version of Mario 64 yes, on it. That just came along, out. Yeah, that just came out. Apparently, it runs better on emulators. But anyway, so with that, we'll get right into our byweight pass. So uh, so for my byweight pass this week, I'm excited about a game called Filmmaker Tycoon, which is uh, coming out soon, or has been, is out based on the podcast time. Came out on the 13th of November. It is a, as the name implies, it is a movie tycoon simulation game where you own your own movie studio and you go through and essentially build up your studio you hire actors create sets and you can even like watch the films that you film once they're done and i hope they're as quality as the films in the movies games which i really like i'm very excited about this game as it appears to be a reimagining of the movies game which was done by lionhead studios which is a uh, defunct studios which did black and white um they also did the movies game um they were they had Pete Molyneux who was uh, associated with them, which we've talked about in the past. I yeah. think we did almost an entire episode. Did we do an episode on Pete Molyneux? We talked about we talked about we talked British game developers. British games, right? Yeah. Which he is. He's a he is a British game. He is one. Of, yeah, he is, <laughs> he is a British game. Um, he's a British game like Lord British is a British game. And this uh, particular genre of simulation has lacked any real decent games of this type that i'm aware of and so it's gonna be a buy i love this underrated genre of video games i like simulations i like movie movies i like making movies i like movie tycoon games um i do some the zachary bought me a movie tycoon game to fill in the void of the movies game and it was bad and i told him it was bad broke Maybe my heart that game on what? stream you know that's yeah fun. that's fun that's fun so, Zach, what is your uh, byweight pass? Yeah, so my byweight pass is a game called UFO 50. It is being published and developed by Mossmouth Studio. I have no idea when it's coming out because it's been, um, what's it called? To be announced for a very long time. <laughs> Uh, UFO 50 is a collection of 50 single player and multiplayer games that span a variety of genres. It also uses like an 8-bit NES style aesthetic that I really like. It reminds me a lot of like a better version of multi-cart style games that came out for older systems, like the infamous Action 52, which came out for the Sega Genesis and the Super Ni- er, in the original Nintendo. Different the difference being is these games are not mini games. They're also not bad, uh, reportedly. They're described as being a combination of things like small arcade games, but also larger open world adventures and JRPGs that could take many hours to beat. Um, I am all about getting a good bargain. So 50 games all in one bundled nice package sounds like a deal to me. I have no idea how much it's going to cost or when it's going to be out, but I will keep an eye out for it and it will probably be on a buy for me. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Lots of games all put together. 
so yeah, that's it. That's our Super Mario 64 episode and our episode 50 all in the bag. Nice. Uh, two more episodes till winter or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think so. So yeah, that's it. Now we'll do the thing at the end where we talk about ourselves. Um, so I'm going to tell you some ways that you can contact us, listen to us, and support us. Tell so me. if you want to con, tell me, tell me more, tell, tell me, me more. more. How you contact us and to us and support us? Um, anyway, uh, you can contact us through sending us a, an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail dot com. You can also send an email to Seth at classicgamingbrothers dot com or Zach at classicgamingbrothers dot com. You can even send an email to classicgamingbrothers at classicgamingbrothers dot com. They all go to an e- email inbox where I'll read and respond to all of your emails. Uh, If you have feedback for us, include it in that email. If you want to tell us that you didn't like an episode, you want us to talk about something, or you just don't like us and want us to know, just package that up and send it on over to us, and we'll read and respond to it. We, in fact, may even structure an episode around it. Generally, uh, I'll read the emails and Zach will not, but that's okay. It's fine. If you want to say something to Zach, you can do that. You can also contact us through our social media presences, though if you want to win a prize, you have to send an email. So you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram, where we... We are Classic Gaming Brothers. You can follow us on Twitter, which is CG Brothers Pod. And you can also follow us on Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash Classic Gaming Brothers. Uh, we also have a VS Classic Gaming Brothers, which is Zachary's view. So if we do any multiplayer games and you want to see both of us play versus each other, then you can watch those. You can watch them both at the same time. You do you. You can give them all a follow. You can subscribe to them all. And you can like them all. And that'd be great. That's that's actually ties right into my next segment of supporting us. So you can support us. Honestly, what you're doing is listening to us, which is what we need you to do to support us. Um, so f- listen to our episodes. Enjoy our episodes. Tell other people you enjoy these episodes. And then send them on our way to listen to our episodes so that more people can enjoy Classic Gaming Brothers. Because the more people that listen, the happier the world will be. Now... Uh, you can, in in the listening apps, you can rate us. So if you could, give us a rating. It's fine. It could be five stars or five stars. Um, you can always uh, give us a rating. It really helps the, the show in regards to algorithm and appearing into charts and all that jazz. Uh, so more people can find us, which is the objective, to have more people listen to Classic Gaming Brothers. If you want to listen to us you can also find us on any listening app so you can go into your you can go to our website which is classicgamingbrothers.com and we have not only ways to contact us on that website but you we also have ways that you can listen to us on that website you can also listen to us on many different listening applications such as spotify stitcher google amazon itunes iHeartRadio, acast pandora um whatever whatever you want to listen to us we're probably there and if we're not just let us know and we'll try to get onto them we're very good at convincing listening applications to take our feed so yeah check us out on any of those services and listen to us uh rate us there if you'd like and tell three friends only three friends you can always i mean you can always tell more honestly but if you tell three friends as well i like to say if somebody likes something they'll tell three people 
If somebody doesn't like something, they'll tell many more. So let three friends of yours know. And that's kind of how you can listen to us, support us, and contact us. If you want merch, we have merch. Uh, You can buy said merch. It's the same old merch that it's always been. So if you didn't want to buy the merch 20 episodes ago, you probably don't want to buy the merch now. Just as an FYI. We'll eventually get some new merch in there uh, one day. Uh, And with that, Zach, am I missing anything? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. That's right.